Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word, amen. I hope you'll forgive me for not preaching on the gospel lesson this morning. We, uh, not because it's hard, uh, but because this is the one Sunday out of the three years of lectionary readings that we get this letter from Philemon that Paul writes and so I thought we'd uh, look at it together I don't think it's a very easy part of the gospel message either so I don't think we're letting ourselves off too lightly when I was a high school junior I was cast in a play a musical as a short rotund black haired Italian man (laughs) it was the play Fiorello I was supposed to be Fiorello LaGuardia Pickings were slim at friend's school that year. And I was cast opposite a young woman named Sarah. And I didn't really like her at all. I thought she was bossy. She was kind of snooty, I thought. Kind of a goody two-shoes. She was the student body president. And we held that against her, of course. We snidely... We snidely referred to her as Madame Prez behind her back. Anyway, I was cast opposite Sarah. Didn't like her. And then, wouldn't you know it, boom. I fell in love with her. (laughs) Life imitates art, as they say. And we went on to be pretty serious. Um, Boyfriend and girlfriend for a year and a half, as serious as you can be in high school anyway. And I really really liked her a lot. She was a wonderful person, full of humor and integrity, and although we've lost touch over the um, last 30 years or so, I managed to get back in touch with her a few years ago and found that she's still the same just amazing, wonderful uh, person with humor and integrity. I invite each one of us, each one of you this morning, to think of someone in your life who you might begin to see 
differently. Someone in your life that you may need to begin to see differently. It might be someone whose gifts and skills you've been taking advantage of for some time. It might be someone you love but whose habits make it hard for you to remember that you love them. It might be someone who's hurt you terribly and it's become almost impossible to see past that hurt to the person. It might be the faceless victim of yet another tragic natural or man-made disaster. It might be someone of a different race or someone whose political or social or religious views you find odious. It might be a colleague or a professional rival who never seems to cease to have that knack to find a way to make you feel small or inadequate. This morning we hear from Paul. Paul knew a thing or two about coming to see someone differently. You recall that he began his career in Christian history as a hater of Christians. His mission in life was to round them up, hurt them, maybe even kill them. And then, love hit Paul right between the eyes. He had a vision of Jesus as he was, Paul was, traveling on the road to Damascus on his way to make life miserable for a few more Christians. And as we know, Paul then became the single most important founder of churches in our history and the primary author of, that we know of, of letters that we've kept in the canon of the New Testament Scripture. This morning we overhear the letter Paul writes to his friend and convert Philemon. A slave belonging to Philemon named Onesimus had somehow arrived at Paul's prison cell, which was likely in Rome, maybe in Ephesus. And in the process, Onesimus had become a Christian under Paul's care. Now, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, along with this letter urging him to set the slave free. Now, it's not clear whether Paul is sending Onesimus back because that was the law, it was Roman law. Paul prided himself on his Roman citizenship and where he could do it without conflicting with his own Christian gospel beliefs. He tried to follow the law. Or whether it was to test just how much of an impact the gospel had had on his friend, the layman. We don't know exactly why Paul was sending him back, although we might begin to get a sense from the letter. Now, while in no way defending the institution, it's important to say in passing that slavery in ancient Rome was much different than the slavery that scars our own history here in America. First of all, it was not based primarily on race. You likely became a slave because you'd been on the losing side in a war or if you couldn't pay your debts, or if your mother was a slave. 
Those were the three primary ways that you would have ended up a slave in ancient Rome. And in addition, it wasn't unreasonable to hope that at some point in your life you might have a, have a shot at being free, either because you could buy yourself, buy your freedom, or because your master would see fit somehow to free you because it would redound to the master's honor somehow. Some slaves were even doctors or lawyers or poets. There were even a few former slaves who became Roman senators. So it was different being a slave than it would have been here. Nonetheless, it was still a horrible thing. And for most slaves, it meant a life of being less than fully human, not having full control of your own body, of your own will, of not having the full freedom that God intended. And that's where the gospel comes in. Jesus disrupted this system of bondage, disrupted the cords, maybe even shackles of kinship and patronage and hierarchy that defined the ancient world. The Church of Christ created a counterculture, an alternative universe of different relationships that challenged, that undercut, that subverted the dominant powers of the age. And that challenge of Christ began by daring converts to see one another and all of humanity with different eyes and different hearts, especially those who were held in bondage of one sort or another. The challenge of Christ began by reminding them also that the new life, the new life and hope that had been received freely, freely through the love of God and mercy of God extended to all. So for Paul, the questions to Philemon were essentially these, though of course he says them much more gracefully then I'm going to say them. What kind of Christian am I? Are you? Have you, in fact, known the love of Christ? Are you going to keep Onesimus as a slave? Or will you see him as a brother through the common experience of having known the love and power of the Savior? Are you going to set him free or not? We don't know what Philemon did. Some say that he must have freed Onesimus, otherwise this letter wouldn't have appeared in the New Testament at all. I don't think that logic necessarily holds. I see this letter, regardless of what Philemon did, as an open and continuing challenge to each of us, no matter what he did. The challenge to us is to ask ourselves, what kind of a Christian am I? Is there someone or something that I need to see differently? Is there someone or some situation that I need to set free from the bondage that I hold them in? The boxes that I put them in? And by the way, that includes ourselves. 
I think we often hold ourselves in bondage. Paul asks us, I think, in this letter to be reminded of the love of God, the love that God has for each and every one of us, the love that God has for you and you and you and you and you and me. That love that coaxes us, that frees us, that compels us to set those prisoners in our lives, to set them free and let them know the love of God that passes all understanding. Can we do it? That's Paul's challenge for us this morning. And it's a challenge that we are privileged, I hope, to accept. Thanks be to God.